while we continue to explore the seven I am statements that are found in John's gospel. And today is one I think will be familiar to a lot of people. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So really important statement that Jesus makes, but before we get to it, I want to kind of spend some time finding our place in John's gospel, because it's easy to forget where we're at, especially if we're not reading the gospel from start to finish. So let's take a few moments and just discover where we're at in John's gospel. Uh, John writes very differently from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow some of the same structures and storyline and patterns. Uh, John is completely different in his approach to the gospel. And John starts with uh, a hymn to the word. So rather than start with uh, the genealogy or the birth of Jesus, uh, John gets right into theology. And he starts with a hymn to the word, which is Jesus. Right after that, though, John spends a major section from about chapter 2 through chapter 12 with what some people have called uh, the book of signs. And this is really important in John's gospel. Uh, During this book of signs, uh, John explores the life and ministry of Jesus, and he does so through exploring seven sign miracles that Jesus does. And that's one great way to study that first section in the book of John. Well, John then ends the whole gospel by looking at the glory of Jesus. Some people call it the book of glory, which goes from chapter 17 to the end. And this is when John explores uh, the time when Jesus is glorified through his death and resurrection. So between the book of signs and the book of glory, we find our passage. And our passage is actually found in a fairly unique section in John's gospel. It's a section sometimes called the upper room, or the farewell discourse. And I love that word discourse. Uh, Discourse is something that we've forgotten how to do within our society today, I think. Discourse could be defined as a kind of civilized conversation in which you can also have argument or, or controversy. And Jesus did this a lot. In fact, it's so important within the Gospels. Matthew's Gospel revolves around five main discourses of Jesus when he engaged in civilized conversation with the people around him, but that often included uh, uh, some some difficulty or even some uh, pushback from the people around him. Uh, Matthew's gospel has great discourses like the Sermon on the Mount or the parables of the kingdom or even the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus talks about uh, the future of the church, both now and way into the future. And so discourse is an important uh, teaching tool that Jesus uses, and he uses it again right here in John's Gospel. Uh, This is the unique thing, though. In John's discourse, this farewell discourse, it's very private. A lot of the other discourses are done in public, a lot of public conversation, but this one is very private, it's very intimate, and it's also full of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety going on in this conversation. Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room just before Passover and begins to reveal things to them that he doesn't reveal to the crowds outside. 
And this actually starts to cause a lot of anxiety among the disciples of Jesus. Jesus talks more and more about his death. And in fact, the shadow of the cross grows longer and darker the further we get through John's gospel. And so that creates a lot of anxiety for the disciples. And so it would. If you can imagine them thinking, here we finally have the Messiah, the one sent from God to bring freedom and liberation. Now he's talking about dying. A dead Messiah isn't good for anyone. In fact, what's happened in the past are are those messiahs that have come up and gained some followers. Once the messiah is killed, sometimes the followers are killed. And so now the disciples are thinking, all this talk of of death, are we going to be next? And so the anxiety levels are certainly raised. Uh, But then Jesus also talks about betrayal. And in the passage right before the one we read, uh, Jesus says these startling words to his disciples. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine the looks in that room? I can just imagine Peter staring down all the other disciples and saying something like, snitches get stitches. I don't know what Peter would say, but, but something ominous. Who was it going to be? Who would dare betray Jesus? And so anxiety is again raised. But then Jesus turns his attention directly to Peter And at the end of the last chapter, he says, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. Peter, you're going to blow it big time. And this is a startling revelation that Jesus gives to the disciples. So it's very upsetting, this conversation that Jesus is having. It's very unnerving. It creates a lot of anxiety. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty now about the future Just when they think Jesus is coming into his peak time, he's saying, I'm about to die, someone's going to betray me, and Peter is going to deny me. It feels like the world is falling apart for the disciples. So it's into that context that Jesus says in John 14 and verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out. And meanwhile, the disciples are saying, We're freaking out. And Jesus says, don't. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't give into that anxiety. Don't let fear grip you to the point of paralyzing your forward movement. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Well, how could Jesus say that? I mean, he's just just stirred up all kinds of anxiety in them, and now he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? How could he say that? Well, he says to them, don't be anxious because of who you know and because of where you'll go. Those are two great important truths that Jesus um, unveils for the disciples because he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Who do you know? You know me. You have been with me from the beginning. Do you remember the time that we were in the boat and the storm raged up and you all thought you were going to die? What happened? And the disciples would say, well, you calmed the storm. Or Jesus might say, do you remember the time when we were on the mountainside and there's thousands of people around and they were getting kind of hangry, looking for some food, and what happened? And they would have to say, well, Jesus, you provided them food. And and there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, 
You know me. You've seen what I can do. Trust me now. Just as you have trusted God for generations, trust now in me because you know me. But then Jesus goes on to say something really important. Not only can we reduce anxiety because of who we know, but Jesus says you can reduce your anxiety because of where you'll go. I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I love it when Jesus talks about heaven. He talks about heaven relationally, not locationally. Uh, we've got lots of questions about heaven. Where is it going to be? Are there really going to be streets of gold? Uh, do we get our individual mansions? A lot of the answers to those questions uh, are no. <laughs> We're not going to have some great big house that we party in all the time. Jesus doesn't give us a lot of details about heaven. He doesn't talk about the location, but he talks about this relationship. Where I am, you will be also. And that's meant to reduce the anxiety in the room. Jesus says, you know me, so trust me. And wherever I go, I will make sure that, that you are there with me. And that's a great thing. So as the conversation progresses, uh, Thomas again speaks out. And this is part of this discourse where there's questions and even argument. And I love Thomas. I, I love the way that John focuses on the words of Thomas at several points throughout his gospel. And at this point, Thomas speaks out and says, basically, we haven't got a clue where you're going, so how can we possibly know the way? William Barclay, a commentator that I often read, uh, he says this, speaking of Thomas, there was one among them who could never say that he understood what he did not understand, and that was Thomas. He was far too honest, far too much in earnest to be satisfied with any vague, pious expressions. Thomas had to be sure. So he expressed his doubts and his failure to understand. And the wonderful thing is that it was the question of a doubting man which provoked one of the greatest things that Jesus has ever said. In answer to Thomas's question and maybe even doubts, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas says, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. A number of years ago, before we moved to Calgary, uh, we came to visit, and the girls were really young, and we were coming to meet some of Christine's family uh, up at Callaway Park. And we came in from the south side of the city, and we got hopelessly lost. Well, I got hopelessly lost. I tried my best to find my way around as a typical man, I guess, didn't want to ask for directions. Finally, I had to give in, and I pulled into a gas station just not far from the church here, uh, just over in Avenida. The gas station is no longer there. But we pulled into the gas station, and finally, in humility, I went up to the counter, and I said to the young guy behind the counter, can you point me in the direction of Callaway Park? And he just looked at me, to my horror, with a blank stare. And he said, I have no idea what that is, and I have no idea how to get there. And he said, but I tell you what, I can sell you this map for $10. I thought, I don't want a map. I want to know how to get to my destination. 
and I certainly won't pay $10 for it. It was before the time of smartphones and GPS in our cars. And so I went back to the car kind of deflated. You know what would have been great in that situation? If someone had come alongside me and said, hey, I heard you want to go to Callaway Park. Guess what? I'm going there right now. And if you want, you can follow me and I will take you to your destination. That would have alleviated all of my anxiety. That would have been such a gift to me. That's what I think Jesus is saying here, in part. Jesus is not like the Pharisees. The Pharisees always had to point to an external source of truth. The Pharisees had to say, follow the law, follow the prophets, some kind of external source of authority that they had to point to. But not Jesus. Jesus says, Follow me because I am the way. I will take you there. I will guarantee your arrival because I am the way. You see the difference that makes? So Jesus uses these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he uses them, they're not just random words that he's pulling out of the air. These are actually words that are loaded with meaning from the Hebrew scriptures, from what we call the Old Testament. In Isaiah 35, it talks about the way, and all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about the path of righteousness, or the way of God. This is the way, walk in it. It is all throughout the Old Testament. But in Isaiah 35, it comes really clear as Isaiah talks about the future kingdom. Listen to these words. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has res had rescued will return. Now Jesus comes along and says, I am that way. I am the path of righteousness. I am the highway of holiness. Jesus is the way. I think it would have been mind-blowing for those that were steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, anticipating the arrival of the new kingdom. Now Jesus came and said, I am that way. Or if you turn to Psalm 25 and verses 4 and 5, and you read about the truth, as we do all throughout the Old Testament, this idea of God's truth standing firm, God's truth being more precious than gold. And in Psalm 25 and verse 4 and 5, it says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. And now Jesus comes along and says, you know that truth that you've been seeking and, and longing for and that truth that you valued for so long? I am that truth. I am the truth. I, I'm the revelation of God to you. I am the truth about God. I'm also the truth about humanity. I am the truth about the world. I am that truth. It's amazing. It's remarkable what Jesus is saying here. Well, what about the life in Psalm 16 and verse 11, we read this. You make known to me the path of life. And these beautiful words. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the life, that joy in God's presence. And Jesus says, I am that life. And then Jesus wraps it all up, this whole statement with this amazing claim. No one said Jesus, comes to the Father except through me. 
He alone is the way to God. In him alone do we see what God is like. And he alone can lead us into God's presence without fear and without shame. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus doesn't point to an external source. He doesn't point to some eightfold path or the five pillars or even seven sacraments. Jesus points to himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember growing up, there used to be these bumper stickers and sometimes giant billboards, and it just said, Jesus is the answer. And I remember even as a kid thinking, well, what is the question? And that's been the criticism of those billboards from time to time. You say Jesus is the answer, but what's the question that we're asking? But the further along I get in my life, and the further along I get in faith, I realize the truth of that statement. Jesus is the answer. Well, what is the question? The question is the question that Thomas asks in the passage. Thomas says, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? In other words, we're lost. We're confused. And we're a little bit scared, if we're honest. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the answer to that question. I am the answer to your lostness. I am the answer to your confusion. I am the answer to the times when you're just a little bit freaked out. I am the answer because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes I think and I know that we struggle to find a way forward through a lot of confusion and a lot of pain in our lives. And today's passage really tells us that Jesus is that way forward. Sometimes and often we're confused about what is real and truthful as we live in a world that's full of lies and deceptions. And into that, Jesus comes to us and says, I am the truth. And often we're conflicted about how to live in peace with our neighbors and with those who disagree with us and with one another in general. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the life. And so the answer really is found in Jesus. And it's not just some Christian platitude or just some simplistic answer. It, this really is the key. Jesus is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. I know during these times and during this pandemic, uh, we deal with a lot of anxiety, personal anxiety in our lives as we anticipate our kids maybe going back to school and people going back to work, others trying to find work. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. I think it places us exactly where the disciples were when Jesus came to them and said, do not let your hearts be troubled. But often I think we turn to government and government officials or we, we turn to healthcare professionals or maybe we turn to our scientists or even our, our teachers or even churches. We turn to a lot of sources and we need to pay attention to those that God has placed in authority over us. But the question for me today and for you is this. Are we turning to Jesus? Are we turning to Jesus in the midst of this pandemic? So in the reality of these anxious times, I believe that we can find peace, that peace that passes understanding because of who we know and because of where we'll go 
And because Jesus is the answer, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.